Welcome to the Expert Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. Maureen McHugh is a physician in Iowa and has for some time been involved with the impact on our world as we lose populations of bees that pollinate our crops. This problem has been likened to be equal to or even greater than climate change issues, and she kindly joins us to discuss this. Dr. McHugh, thank you so much for being with us. And thank you for considering what is a very vitally important existential problem for humanity. Let's start with a little bit of history. How did you get interested or involved in this particular project? For one thing, we grow our own food, and I've lived for 30 years on this same property, and we have watched the changing numbers of insects overall. I know we're supposed to be talking primarily about bees, but in some ways the bees to the other insects are like the polar bears to the other animal extinctions. The bees are part of, and they're the poster child of a mass extinction of insect at large. And being 30 years in the same place, we've actually watched this. And in particular, because I'm well aware of what foods the bees contribute to, because we have apple trees and pear trees and cherry trees and berry bushes. But all of these things invite the bees. But over time, there are fewer of them and there are more of invasive insects in all of those crops that we grow. Do we have any idea what's causing this problem? Is there a sense of an etiology to it? For the bees and the butterflies, as you know, people have put a lot of time and effort into studying them. The general consensus is that it's multifactorial. However, a couple of things stand out primarily. First of all, habitat destruction. As you know, as the human population continues to increase, the amount of land that goes to cities, highways, buildings of one sort or another, infrastructure, as well as very large farms that completely alter the land means that the habitat for so many creatures, and especially the insects, has been markedly altered in the last several decades, particularly since the end of World War II. So habitat loss is a huge part of the problem. The other part of the problem is like adding severe insult to injury is the introduction of the pesticides. The honeybees were first noted to be in decline since 1947 with the introduction of DDT and Silent Spring. We heard about the loss of birds for the most part, but really that was the beginning of the end also for the bees. Since then, there have been so many other pesticides introduced, and most recently the battle has been over the nicotinoid by bear and others by Monsanto. These are all things that farmers are using to try and keep pests out of their crop, but in doing so, they're weakening the bees and the butterflies and so many other small creatures and in some, the microorganisms and smallest insects in the soil. So all of these things are being affected. And for the bees, even when the pesticides don't kill them outright, what happens is they've been discovering changes in their immune system such that they're more likely to fall prey to other microbial infections. The whole 
chain of life from the soil on up is being altered by the heavy use of these cidal agents in broad farm fields, contributing overall to a dramatic decline in insect and in particular in the bee numbers. So it's multifactorial habitat, pesticides, altered immunity, attack by other microbial agents within hives, and all of these things together have really triggered this massive decline. It is a worldwide problem. It's definitely a problem here in the U.S., but it's also a problem in Europe and around the world. Europe has ended the use of massive amounts of some of the pesticides that we use, but anywhere you go on this planet, when we are trying to produce food and housing and security and transportation for 7.6 billion people, we've just altered the global habitat as far as any of the other living creatures are concerned by prioritizing our needs over an intact biosphere, the whole world faces this problem. This is a massive extinction event. And we notice the bees because they're so much a part of our food economy. But in fact, all of these other insects are being affected as well. And they are the basis of our food chain. And the idea that people haven't been paying much attention is is really frightening because, as you know, the small animals and birds eat the insects and the larger animals eat the small animals and then we eat the larger animals and so on. Without of these smaller creatures and the insects are to our food supply as the plankton are to the life in the ocean. We really don't pay attention to this problem at our peril. Is it to the point, is there a sense that we've reached that critical mass? Do we? Is there a need to panic? I don't like to use the word. I don't want to frighten people. But. <laughs> well, panic doesn't get you anywhere, but there's clearly needs action for positive action, for restorative action, for attention to the need for much more organic farming, attention to the need for urban gardening using organic methods, there's an urgent need to really pay attention to the connection between our needs and the needs of all the other living creatures. We somehow have treated them all as if they're only for our exploitation, but in fact, our survival depends on their survival. And so it, it really requires a new way of thinking. And so I don't know about panic, but <laughs> I certainly feel an urgency to really begin to put this whole picture together in a different way that the earth must serve all of us or will serve none of us if we don't change our way of thinking. When it comes to pollinators, I mean, people can ask specifically about pollinators. There are other pollinators out there. I mean, bats do it at night, birds do it, the wind does it to some extent, water does it to some extent. Humans can do it. Here in Iowa, we have a long history of kids basically being paid to go out in the cornfield and detassel them and essentially do what the bees do. But you can imagine how many people it would take to do what the bees do. So there will be pollination to some degree, but how efficient, how effective, what will it take when we begin to notice that there's less efficient production of food without the bees, that it's less effective. 
tempted to rely on, on these other pollinators without paying attention to the, the more natural interactions between the flowers. Oh, that reminds me, you asked what are some of the causes. Obviously, with a changing climate, when you have the plant forming their bud at times when the, the birds or the bees haven't yet arrived, when the connection time-wise between the seasons and the blooms have been disrupted by a change in climate. It's another reason that the bees or the flowers or the food may be less effective or maybe not surviving to the extent that they might otherwise. It's a complex problem. It is indeed. Because of the multiple assault between changing weather, changing habitat, exposure to the immune-altering effects of the pesticides that they're less effective at reproducing. In general, they're just less effective at surviving. What can people do about it? How can we help stop the problem from getting any worse or can just continuing? In general, we all have to ask ourselves, what are our priorities and how can we go back to something that produces our food in greater balance? Right now, we produce a lot of food and yet people are hungry. So our food policies and our agricultural policies are out of sync even in terms of providing for the humans that they're there to serve. We have to reassess our notion, our economic, our thoughts about how we grow food, for what purpose. If we're only growing it to create large profits for very powerful industries, we're not going to, we're not going to survive. So rather than panic, I think we really need to assess who has the power, what kinds of food policies are we supporting, what kind of land policies are we supporting, how can each of us in our own way perhaps grow without pesticides, try to plant plants that are more native to our area, going back to supporting for here in the Midwest anyway, prairie, supporting natural water flows. Here in Iowa, we have, and I'm sure down in Florida too, we have so altered the flow of water, the flow of nutrients through our water systems that that has to be rethought. And we've done it in the name of Big Egg. And we in Iowa are producing these millions and millions and tons of manure from confined animals. This has got to be the most amazingly altered environment. And everybody likes, I mean, who's not a vegetarian or a vegan, a little bit of meat. But do they need three servings of meat a day, seven days a week? So some lifestyle changes yes, here that indeed. need to be looked at. indeed. Lifestyle changes for sure. I grew up in Ohio, and I recall a small town farm boy in many ways. I recall being told that without the insecticides, the fields could not produce enough food because the bugs were going to eat it before we could harvest it. And now you're talking about organic farming without the use of pesticides. The question is, are we set up such that we can produce enough food without the pesticides? I would prefer non-pesticides, and I have no idea. There have been a number of those sorts of studies, and depending on how it's approached, there have been a lot of studies that show that, yes, organic farming techniques can be set up in such a way that production is maintained. Part of what I was saying is that a lot of the production that we have right now is waste 
successful production. And so while, yes, human population is growing, we produce way more meat, for instance, than people need on a per capita basis. Think about how many calories of grain go into producing how many calories of meat you begin to see that there is the ability to produce enough food to feed everybody if you reassess what foods you're producing and in what amounts. Right now, so much agriculture, food production is oriented to profit making and not to actually nourishing the human population. If you were interested in nourishing people, we wouldn't see the massive problems with obesity and heart disease and diabetes that we see because people would not be eating the refined food, the foods that are full of corn syrup or the foods that are are based on massive amounts of beef and pork. It's a different kind of a question. It, It really is how do we define a diet? Nourishment versus food as a calorie counting and profit generating entity, consumable item. If we started talking about the right to food or the right to quality nourishment, we would be producing food in a very different way than we produce it right now. So it isn't a question of organic versus pesticides. It's a question of what are we producing for whom, at what cost, to whose benefit. From your observations and as you've dealt with this problem, do governments generally accept this as a problem? Are different countries handling it more aggressively than perhaps our country is? Your observations, your thoughts about that? Well, as you know, some who are currently in leadership in this country have some real problem with science. Decisions aren't being made on scientific basis. They're being made on interesting economic basis. Whereas in parts of Europe, people have seen that food production doesn't end when you use less pesticides, isn't significantly altered if you use fewer antibiotics, isn't particularly threatened by grazing versus confining your animals. I think in Europe, they've gone a lot further than we have here. They have some of the very same problems, don't get me wrong, but they have gone further to to begin to ameliorate this problem. I think they've recognized the real threat that losing our pollinators means to so much food. People tend to forget that pollinators are responsible for a huge percentage of our food, something like around 40% of our food comes from pollinated food from all the way from almonds to watermelons and all the fruits and berries in between and even corn to some degree before it was so heavily laden with pesticides. Many years ago, I was with someone who grew up in a very large city, and I took this person to a farm, and they were astonished. They had never seen carrots in the ground. They had never seen lettuce in the ground. And so, it is it is funny. I have an autistic son. We definitely have that scene here at home because I often say he wants something 
in particular, and I say, no, it's not in season, and it's just not really available, and he'll go, yes, it is, Mom. It's at Hy-Vee. That's exactly right, because they think that the food somehow magically appears. Mm -hmm. I'm being maybe a little too simplistic, but sometimes they think that they don't know that the food comes from a farm, and the farm comes from the pesticides and the rain patterns and the temperature patterns and the pollinator patterns. They don't see it as connected to anything other than just there on the shelf. Yeah. Yeah, and I think a lot of younger people, unfortunately, because the global population increasingly is urbanized and urban areas are increasingly covered in concrete and only slowly, you know, are people putting gardens on the top of buildings or planting interesting prairies in city parks and and things like that that do bring some of the pollinators back to the city. But living all the time in a concrete place, literally concrete, you tend to have no idea. I mean, people don't understand the rhythm of weather and creatures and insects. All of these things have natural rhythms. And if you're living in the city, you know it's colder or it's warmer, it's lighter, longer or shorter. But beyond that, you're not aware of the rhythm of the plants and the insects. And this is a dance that birds and insects and plants do in their natural habitat. If you don't know that, you don't protect it, you don't perceive its eventual destruction. Maureen Mathieu is a physician who has been working with issues regarding pollination, food supplies, and lifestyle. And I love the way you phrase that, the dance between the plants and the insects and us as well. Everyone says, oh, yeah, that's important, that's important, that's important, but it doesn't get the play of climate change. They're all interconnected. Um, One is not acting without the other. It's such a complex problem. It's hard to get a handle, but certainly, like you said, some of the lifestyle on an individual basis just looking at our diets and our own behaviors, but also policy limits on how land is used, how wetlands are being drained and the intensification of agriculture, intensification of sugar production. I mean, when you think about how much land goes to producing crops that have economic value versus nutrient value, those are policies. We need to work on those. I'm just going to say thank you again. Thank you for having me.